It is that time again. My name is Kevin King, and I'm joined, as always, with my friend Tyler Crawley. It's time for the Tavern Voices podcast. The sun is shining. August is upon us, so hopefully the heat is about to go. And um, as, as long as your lawn guy has quit, Tyler, I think you're uh, you're good to go as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's weird. I was, uh, before we got the podcast started, there's this guy like right outside my window, like mowing the lawn, almost as if he knew. He, he knew. He, he knows what we're about. He was trying to, trying to sabotage the Tavern Voices podcast. Uh, but also, I think it was just weird because I hadn't heard a lawnmower in so long because <laughs> no one's been able to cut the grass because every day it's been like a, a pot- potential uh, Armageddon-like thunderstorm, and you're right. The sun is shining here as well. I thought it was going to rain. It looks like we've we've um, missed it. But I do want to correct you. The warm weather is not going away. It's actually coming back. In, in Wilmington, at least, we haven't had a 90 degree day since like July 12th because it's just been raining nonstop, and so it kind of cooled itself off. So it's actually been almost a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you. I don't know. I was trying to debate. Do I want rain or 95 degree humidity? It's I don't know. It's kind of it's why are that? Why why is that our only two choices? (laughs) Because we live in the south in the summer. (laughs) Man, it has been awful. I mean, you know, I was happy that the sun came out today and then it's been 90, uh, 90 degrees here today in Raleigh. Uh, I I would I I don't know which is better or or worse. I don't know. I'll tell you this. If the rain that jet stream stays here and keeps the hurricanes away, then I'm okay with rain. Rain is better than hurricane. Oh. Uh, so if those are my options, I'll go with rain. Uh, but I still haven't decided between the 95 degree humidity or the 80 degree rain. That's still sort of a toss up for me. Uh, all right. Now, speaking of toss ups, speaking of toss ups, we're having a big fight right now in the Republican Party between these sort of traditional conservative free market capitalists. And the new sort of Donald Trump economic populism, nationalism that we are seeing, and it's really kind of coming to a head because today in the New York Times, it was reported that two of America's biggest steel manufacturers, both with deep ties to the Trump administration, have successfully objected to hundreds of requests by American companies that buy foreign steel to exempt themselves from President Trump's stiff metal tariffs. Now, they have argued that the imported products are readily available from American steel manufacturers, and therefore, they can just buy them here even though it'll be at a higher price. Now, this is happening while, for those that remember, and this is uh, uh, news that's that's happening as we're talking right now, uh, the Justice Department is arguing that the judge ignored economics, common sense, in allowing the AT&T Time Warner deal to go through, uh, this is something that the Obama, the, excuse me, the Trump administration has been uh, battling with. They're trying to block AT&T and Time Warner merging. This is happening, like I said, with the steel tariffs. And so, Kevin, my question for you, is this the free market conservatism that everyone was demanding when Barack Obama was president? All we got to do is get a Republican in office and we're going to get back to that free market values. Is this what we were supposed to be hoping for? I mean, clearly it is, right? I mean, the, the the people have spoken. This is this is the return to conservative principles, um, n- or or not? Okay, yeah, this is this is awful. And I mean, we talk about that a lot. How there is always a discussion about how things should be until your party is in power, and then things change. Um, you know, we're clearly seeing the vision of the baby boomer Republicans. 
I think that's all the Trump movement is, is the baby boomer Republicans. The Make America Great Again slogan is aimed at textiles, industries, steel production, all that um, that that supposedly made America so great from the uh, the end of World War II until the 90s when us kids, you know, ruined everything. <laughs> but I, I would love to find a, a free market Republican anywhere near D.C. That would be that would be great, I think, for the long term success of the country. And, you know, I listen to and I, I watch and listen to CNBC most all day as I'm working um, because it's something I don't really have to focus too much on. It's not as intense as CNN or Fox News or something on in the background. And I can tell you that tariffs and how this is impacting the economy is 90% of the conversation. And this is with all kinds of conservative business owners. You're talking about bank CEOs, um, you know, tech people. I mean, people all across the spectrum. Of course, the, the leftovers from the Obama administration who come on have one perspective on how the economy is going to be impacted. Um, but then you have a whole lot of people who are on the conservative free market side who are very concerned about what this is going to do. Well, they are. And it's funny because the Obama administration people are like kind of bashing them. But at the same time, you know, let's not forget uh Barack Obama instituted those tire tariffs that, you know, were industry specific, but they still had the same impact, just not as as big as these are. And the thing is, they're not actually having that big of an impact. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a what a 20 trillion dollar economy is, is sort of what we are. So it's not that major of an impact, but it's pretty much along the lines of the tax cuts. I mean, that's what's so bizarre is that you'll hear Republicans make these arguments about we got to cut taxes and we got to cut regulations and we got to get the government out of business. And then they go and do this. I mean, Donald Trump over the weekend was tweeting about this and he's like contradicting himself in the same tweet. It's not like a tweet from a couple months ago, like the same tweet. He's bragging about consumers having more money in their pocket because of tax cuts and then bragging about tariffs and how it's bringing more revenue into the Treasury. In the same tweet, it's 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 very bizarre. And I think there's just a lot of economic illiteracy on this, unfortunately, because it is kind of a complicated subject. And it really wasn't until President Trump um, was running and was talking about this. And I started doing some research because, you know, I'd never heard a Republican talk like that. And I started looking into it and I was like, oh, man, this is bad. This is not good. And unfortunately, it's taken over the Republican Party. And you're right about the baby boomers. It's this economic nostalgia that that's when we were great. And if we go back to that, everything will be great again. And you'll hear Trump say that, like, oh, steelworkers are working again. Well, yeah, but we just found out that Harley Davidson's laying people off. And Milton Friedman talked about this, the seen versus the unseen. And yeah, it's easy to point to the people that we're saving, but it's a little bit more difficult to see the people that are getting fired and or aren't getting hired and the impact. And like I said, it's not going to destroy the economy. But it will be enough to wipe out the benefits of the tax cuts, which unfortunately cost us a trillion dollars. <laughs> like it's costing us a lot of money. So we should be at least getting some benefit from them. And that's one of the major problems I have. But, yeah, this is a mess. This is an absolute mess. There's there's no other way to word it. President Trump's tweets make it look like he has no idea what he's doing. And when he's the one implementing policy, 
that does not put a lot of faith in the U.S. economy. No, and tariffs are like the uh, the economic equivalent of socialism. It's just they haven't yeah. been done the right way is the explanation yeah. <laughs> I keep hearing from everyone uh, because there are so many examples of how tariffs have never worked in the history of the United States. And um, even when you look at it you know, from a broad perspective because – you know, there's so many other factors. You're talking about one aspect of the total game when you're not talking about, um, you know, the the currency manipulation and how even the Fed, I mean, is raising rates. And there, there's so many different things that go into play. We had QE for so many years that um, that that really changed what what even it meant to have a strong economy. And now you have, um, you know, you you have this tariff debate and. What I want to know is, is when you apply this in history, what would happen if we had just put tariffs on cell phones because of all the you know operators or the landline telephone people who are losing their jobs, right? I mean, things are supposed to evolve and change. You don't say, what is an industry that we don't have anymore? And let's negatively impact everyone to bring back that particular industry, right? I mean, shouldn't we be going in a different direction into what the future is going to be? Because I feel like we're just creating this temporary, uh, you know, this temporary point in history where we're bringing something back at the expense of, of um, you know, w- w- with tariffs and at the expense of the consumer f- for purely nostalgic purposes. Well, it should also be pointed out the two main points. One, economic output, uh, or I should say manufacturing output is the highest it's ever been in the United States. Uh, And most reports attribute the job loss in the manufacturing sector to productivity gains in automation uh, as a much bigger indicator than the supposed offshoring that Donald Trump. Oh, and by the way, all the liberals talk about (laughs) their Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump sound exactly the same when it comes to tariffs and offshoring. And uh, just if anyone wants more information, Scott Lincecum over at Cato wrote the definitive paper on tariffs and looked at tariffs over the last century and found, I think, maybe one instance, and it was bicycles in the 80s, where I think it wasn't that they like tremendously benefited from, it barely worked, or I think it kept them afloat, or it's that's pretty much it. There's no other example in a hundred years of tariffs ever doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. And like I said, Scott Lincecum over at Cato wrote the definitive paper on that. So just type that in and, and you'll be good to go. That I'll have to check into that because and I, I wonder if you shared that on our Facebook page, if it would stay up because Tower, I don't know if you have kept up with this, but social media companies right now are really taking censorship into their own hands and it's causing quite the controversy. Uh, Companies like Facebook, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube have taken down content like uh, Alex Jones' InfoWars show. And if you remember, Zuckerberg was even grilled about it, uh, about Facebook censorship during his congressional testimonies. And uh, of course, you'll probably remember the great question asking by our well-informed elected officials there on Capitol Hill. But Tyler... My question is this, do you think these tech companies are out of line or should the entire internet ban Alex Jones? Oh man, that's a trick question. Feels like a trick question. It is a really interesting one because I've heard the arguments made that, you know, first first they came for Infowars and I said nothing. <laughs> Because I was not a member of InfoWars. And then the argument is, is that they're then going to come for someone else. But I don't know if they are. And this is the problem that I have is that Alex Jones 
in the in what he peddles in conspiracy theories and lies and all these other things that he does. I don't want any medium banning anyone. I just want to make that very clear. I'm not for Facebook banning him. I'm not for Spotify and iTunes and anyone else banning him. But at the same time, it's not like he's this far right guy pushing, you know, Ludwig von Misses or uh, Frederick Hayek. And, you know, he's pushing William F. Buckley. The guy is lying to people. I mean, he's pushing things that are that are that are not provable and he's hurting people by doing it, by talking about how the Sandy hook killing was fake and it was not true. And I, I don't know where I fall on this. It's, it's cause I heard a lot of arguments that, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, I'm not happy with anyone being banned, but at the same time, it, it worries me that the right is going to stand up for him and act like he's part of our tribe when he's not. Uh, and I, I mean, I really, I despise Alex Jones because I don't know if he actually believes what he's saying, but I was reading something over the weekend about how someone that worked there said that they could raise money. They could raise like a hundred thousand dollars in like a money bomb if they needed to. And they argued that they've had people call in one woman called in and she was, she had her house foreclosed on. And so she had to like use a credit card and do a cash advance to send them money I mean, this is a woman who's like almost destitute and she's sending him money because she buys into this garbage that's, I mean, not true. And I don't know. I, I, I really don't know about the, the whole free speech argument because these, these are private companies. They can do what they want. But yes, it does worry me. Are we going to get to the point where they are going to start banning conservatives who are saying things they don't agree with? We're talking about things like transgender uh, people and, you know, what and the way that their minds think. And because some people say that they're crazy and would that get you banned from iTunes or Spotify? I don't know. And that's, that's where I sort of fall on this, but Alex Jones in particular, I could care less if he gets banned or not, but it does. But I do, I do worry about the slippery slope. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, here's where I'll look at it. First of all, you hit the nail on the head. These are private companies. I cannot stand when I hear all of these people talk about the free speech violation of Facebook. Like you don't have free speech on Facebook. That's absurd. It's like saying you come into my house, you can say whatever you want. It's protected by the Constitution. The fact that conservatives, and I've seen a lot of them say this, think that the Bill of Rights applies to private companies and individuals is absurd. So I just wanted to get that out there. Well, they, real quick, it should also be noted that there are some conservatives out there, and this is what drives me crazy, that thinks that we should treat social media companies as if they are public utilities. Yes. Um, not, maybe not necessarily we should nationalize them, <laughs> but that we that they they should be that the Second Amendment or sorry, the First Amendment should apply to Facebook and Twitter and everything else. And I don't know if anyone was watching the stock market last week, but Facebook lost $100 billion in value, proving that these giants can bleed. This idea that Facebook is always going to be the number one social media company is so ignorant of history and the fact that we've had so many companies before them and will have so many after. And this idea that because they are in the supreme position now, they're always going to be there. It's just it's so stupid. For anyone that thinks that someone is going to dethrone them, it always happens, always. And social media is no different than any other market out there. And this, and this idea that we should nationalize, not nationalize them, but true as a public utility, is 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 insane. Just as insane as these protectionist policies we're pushing. Oh, it is. And 
what I don't understand is, you know, I think this could be great if a certain group of people get banned or the content they want to find is no longer on Facebook. That's only going to hurt Facebook. Let them do whatever they want to do. Let the consumer react however they want to react. I mean, there is a legitimate problem with, um, not to use the same word again, but legitimacy on the internet. Uh, There is a lot of fake news. I'm not talking about the Trump fake news. I'm talking about the total bullcrap articles that people share from websites that have no credibility. Um, These companies are really faced with trying to sift that out because they're becoming spam bots. And unfortunately, everything on the internet ends up going that route. Eventually you can't get on, you know, I mean, these companies like uh, dig and Reddit and all these forums, they have a huge problem with all kinds of bizarre content inappropriate content, um, personal attacks. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So these companies have to keep, some sort of a handle on it and Twitter just went through a great purge and what was funny is it hurt their stock but they got rid of users that aren't real users which you think would improve their their stock position so I think that shows you the market doesn't even understand how these companies operate in in one aspect but well I'm glad you brought up dig too because dig remember dig at one point they thought was going to take over the internet and it like almost collapsed yeah that means it's a shell of what it used to be and it just goes to the problem with the internet is that things happen so much quicker. You know, back in the day, it took, you know, how long did it take GE to reach the market cap that it's reached now? I mean, like decades. Facebook did it in like 10 years. And so people get, they get frightened by the speed, but it means their fall is going to be just as quick. Uh, and these changes are going to be just as quick. And I mean, the fact that young people aren't getting on Facebook is a sign that that Facebook has a shelf life. And that's why they're buying up things like Instagram and other and other uh, businesses, because they know that the Facebook model, that the, the website, the profiles is is going the way the dodo bird um, and they're going to have to do something. And this this idea that they're just always going to be this powerful. It's just it's just ignorant of history. It's, it's never happened with any company ever. Why is Facebook immune to market forces? It's not. You're absolutely right. No, I mean, it just, it's, it, it, ah, it drives me crazy. And speaking of driving me crazy, we're going to move to some state news because the state NAACP no longer run by my buddy, the Dr. Reverend, Mr. William Barber. He has now moved on to greener pastures with a national organization, but they're still doing the work. They're still, they're still following his message of challenging everything the Republicans do, being a good arm of the Democratic Party. The state NAACP and the environmental group Clean Air Carolina are suing to stop four proposed constitutional amendments from appearing on the ballot in the fall. The four proposed constitutional changes uh, the organization are targeting One is photo ID. The other is the cap on the income tax rate. They also want to challenge the change the way judicial vacancies are filled to limit the governor's role and take away the governor's power to appoint members to boards and commissions and give that power to the legislature. Uh, The lawsuit maintains that since some legislators were elected from districts that a federal court found were unconstitutional racial gerrymanders, a, quote, usurper legislature does not have the power to put constitutional amendments on the ballot. So, Kevin, could we call these unconstitutional constitutional amendments? Or call them unconstitutional amendments. Ah, that's, I don't like that's. I'm not in that whole brevity thing, man. I like, I like the longer words. <laughs> El Dutorino, right? So um, I'm glad you pointed out the usurper legislature because I thought that was a fantastic quote uh, in the article. 
I thought they were. I thought it said supper when I first saw it, and I said, mm, "Supper? Oh no, usurper." Okay, I've I've had supper many times at the legislature <laughs> when uh when it when it's a late night. But um, I, I mean, this whole story is just one of those. I say, "Oh, I was just waiting for this story to come out." I'm not surprised. Um, calling them usurpers and saying that the entire premise of your lawsuit is that they were not duly elected, so therefore anything they do is is invalid. I mean. In effect, they're trying to what undo the entire legislative session. I doubt any well, why court don't is going to do that. that that's that's a good point, though. But then, shouldn't they challenge everything that they've done? The ballot would be illegal. Every law would be illegal. I mean, it wouldn't just be this. And if a court did rule on this, wouldn't that be then used as precedent to then get rid of everything the legislature has done? I mean, I, listen, I know we got some liberal judges, but I just can't imagine a judge setting that precedent. No. Where, okay, you're right. No way. And that would mean everything they've done would be ruled um, unconstitutional. Yeah. No, it absolutely would. And just when you think that invalidating the constitutional amendments based on the feeling that the uh, elected body is invalid um, is – the secondary reasoning when they say later on in the article that the NAACP opposes reducing the state income tax from 10% to 7% because it will prevent the state from adopting a graduated tax rate on people with higher incomes. So they want to raise taxes on people. Okay. Then you go to Carolina, uh, a clean air Carolina, which I don't know how they have anything to do with these amendments. So I had to find that in the very last sentence where they said capping the income tax rate will limit Clean Air Carolina's advocacy uh, advocacy efforts for more state spending on clean air and climate issues. So they want to raise taxes to then spend more. So, you know, I've always heard people talk about the tax and spend Democrats, tax and spend Democrats. And I hate labels, so I tend to not throw things like that out. But um, they're, they're proving me wrong. And by all they want to do is raise taxes on everyone. And I will say that there are a lot of conversations that you can have about all kinds of different uh, policies, social issues, and how they've been handled in the state over the years with uh, Amendment 1 and HB 2 and different things. You can have conversations about that. But I feel like what you can't really debate is how well the financial order of the state has come into play in the last eight years with tax reform, businesses here uh, filling up the rainy day fund, paying off billions in debt that, that were inherited. And... And then then all these companies are just saying, well, we need to go back to those days of taxing and spending. I I just can't wrap my head around who supports them. Donald Trump? (laughs) No, I don't know. I mean, it's it's and it's very weird because I don't know if you saw this, but a couple I'm not even sure we talked about it here on the show. But a couple of weeks ago, there was a uh, report that had come out about how, you know, judging the economy since the Republicans took over. And it was Rob Schoenfeld with the News and Observer who was like, well, both sides can take something away from this report because the first three years that the Republicans were in power, the economy actually underperformed the national and uh, national economy and the rest of the Southeast. And it was the last three years that we have data on that they actually outperformed national and were the best performing in the Southeast. So I guess they all can claim credit. I said, no, that is not true at all because the first three years Republicans are in power. They spent that time cleaning up the mess of the Democrats. And then once they figure that out and we're able to start lowering taxes, they balance the budget. We got a surplus. 
this the economy took off. And so, no, you cannot attribute those first three years. Oh, and by the way, one of those years was actually 2010, which for some reason they thought was the Republicans were in power. That was the year they won the election. They didn't take over until 2011. So that was actually the Democrat year. And then the other couple were years they were fixing and cleaning up for the Democrats. And so there's no way. And, and that just shows you how weak their argument is because they almost basically had to sort of fudge these numbers to come up with this uh, statistic that, oh, well, there's not a lot of evidence. There's tons of evidence that North Carolina is kicking butt and taking names. And it is all because of the Republicans being fiscally responsible in Raleigh. And the Democrats are furious because there's nothing they can really point to other than like, oh, well, Kansas screwed things up, even though we're nothing like them because we actually cut taxes and spending. They just cut taxes. And so when you do it correctly, you get what we have right now. And so, yeah, the Democrats are upset because it's hard for them to run on things. So they make up. That's why they make big issues about the voter ID and everything else, because they can't run on the economy because the economy is clearly benefiting from Republican policy. So they have to they have to manufacture outrage. And that's precisely what this is. Why is Carolina Clean Air worried about voter ID and the income tax? <laughs> It's like, dude, you guys are environmental issues. That's fine. Worry about those. Advocate for those. But what are you doing? None of these issues have anything to do with your organization. And it makes you look – and same thing with the NAACP. I mean there's like a loose affiliation between voter ID and minority voters. I get that. But income tax, um, the powers of legislature and the governor, what does the NAACP have anything to do with those issues? And it makes them look like arms of the Democratic Party and they're taken less seriously because of it. No, I, I think that's unfortunately what, uh, you know, a lot of these organizations have become. And, um, you know, it's funny when you see the protest, especially here in Raleigh, and especially for a spontaneous issue. I've never quite figured this one out. Um, but they show up and they've got all these pre-printed signs and all of this money going in uh, to causing a stir. And, and I think people are becoming desensitized to it because they're protesting everything. They're challenging everything. And when you pull the average person, I mean, especially you're talking about a group of people who think that Russia helped elect Donald Trump. I mean, you're talking about a group of people who have no idea how Hillary Clinton didn't win. And then they will take zero steps to securing elections. I mean, why would you be anti-voter ID if you think that that the Russians meddled in the election? If you can track that only people who are supposed to vote vote, that would maybe theoretically have won Hillary the election, right? Isn't that their logic? Yeah. Well, I mean, they should. They should want to protect the there's, – there's no doubt about that. Uh, not to mention the fact that some of the most liberal states in the country, like Illinois, have voter ID. I remember when Obama went and voted. He had a show ID in Illinois, and they don't care because they own Illinois. Illinois is a Democrat state, so they don't say anything, and so it doesn't make any sense. It's like gerrymandering. It's like I don't get it. If gerrymandering only benefits Republicans, how come Democrats are doing it and winning all these seats in places like Maryland and New York? Um, it's the same thing with voter ID. They only care about voter ID and gerrymandering when it happens in red states. Otherwise, they don't care about it. And so it just makes them look like it's partisan and not issue-based. If if these groups were shouting to the rooftops about the v- voter ID in Illinois, then I'd be like, okay, you're being at least consistent. But they don't. I've never heard one group argue about voter ID in Illinois. So go figure. Well, I do want to correct you on one point, Tyler. You said Democrats own Illinois, and I think it's actually getting out of their hands. It's slipping through because of the 
the way they have destroyed the the well, they have, fiscal they have a Republican governor. Um, well, uh, my point being, I mean, yeah, that's not what I was getting at. What oh, I was oh, going to oh. say, what I was just going to say is, they have destroyed the economy there so badly, and the the house of cards that the entire um, financial shape of the state is built on. I think it's going to end up going red eventually <laughs> because all of the social programs are going to collapse. I, I just don't know. I mean, I just think there's just going to be someone who will go, well, we're just going to tax the rich people more. And then, I mean, yeah, maybe the state will just collapse at some point. I just don't know because I think all the Republicans have left. It's like California. How does California ever go back to being red when anyone that was even close to being Republican left? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to have people swing because of an election and go, man, I'm so angry. That I'm going to switch. I mean, I don't know what the Republicans could do to make me not vote Republican. I mean, I might not vote, but I don't think I'd vote Democrat. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> Democrats are kind of the same where they might just not vote. <laughs> but but so someone, the governor will get elected with like 25 votes in the state of California or Illinois one day, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know. But I do want to take this opportunity to talk about a blue issue since we talked about red state, blue state and the fact that there are 13 Carolina blue UNC football players who are now facing suspensions over selling their school issued sneakers. Apparently, they are some limited edition Air Jordan threes, which means nothing to me. And the students were using a shoe store in Greensboro as like a, a dealer broker of these shoe transactions. So word got out and the school is going after them all along. I had no idea there was a tennis shoe black market out there. But Tyler, do you think that it is fair that these students are facing punishment for their actions? Or is it really only fair when universities exploit these student athletes by making millions of dollars a year on them. All right. First of all, don't even pretend like you don't know how crazy the shoe market is. I thought you watched Entourage. Don't you remember I, I, like I, Turtle going crazy for the, the tennis Fuki shoes? Jamas? Yeah, the Fukijamas. Did you remember that? That's not that wasn't oh, made yeah. up. That's like real stuff, man. People like get into fights at these limited edition shoe releases. So don't pretend. My bad. Like I, you know, I didn't put that together, but I should have known that Turtle was leading me down the right path. <laughs> no, I mean, it is true. I mean, there's the, the, the shoe market's like insane. Uh, I mean, some of these, you look at some of these uh, Hollywood celebrities and what they spend on, you know, limited edition, you know, Air Jordans or like old school Reebok pumps. And I mean, just it's insane what they spend. I mean, I, I remember, I'll, I'll admit, when I was in college, I got into a little uh, Nike Air Force One phase and I got a bunch of... Uh, Air Force Ones. I had the white on whites. I had the snow camo ones. I had these red and gray ones that were awesome. I got really big into sneakers. I mean, they, I thought they were kind of cool. I, I outgrew it when I was about 22. <laughs> so it didn't take long. I still have the sneakers. I could probably put them on eBay and make a boatload of money now that I, because I barely wore them. But it's really weird what, what's happening with college athletes. Um, and, you know, you look at, you know, if we're talking like a swimmer or like a golfer or, you know, some of these people who are who are actually college athletes, then it's an entirely different situation than we have for these people who go to school to play football and basketball who are going to be there for one, maybe two years, and then they're going to go to the NBA. And everyone goes, well, they're getting an education. Yeah, but they're not because there's no value to them in that college education. They're not going – 
to ever, it's that's not going to be necessary. And I read this book recently, uh, John Tamney wrote a book called The End of Work. And he talked about how the future and automation and all these, all this techno- technological changes were going to make things so much better. But one of the things he talked about was that we should allow these student athletes to essentially major in going pro. And so they should go to school for a year in major and going pro, like learning, you know, contract law and learning these things that will actually be of value to them when they become a professional athlete, instead of going to school and learning like economics, to be honest with you, has no value to them. But like I said, learning the understanding of contract, uh, learning how to find a good manager, like going, learning how to actually become a professional athlete, because that's what they're going to be doing. And I do think that they do get, I don't want to say mistreated, but they do get, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, taken advantage of by the system. They, they get a little value, but the schools get way more out of them that they get from the schools. And even though they're giving them a little more money now with the per diems, I think the schools need to do more. And I think that these kids that UNCW should get in trouble. There are rules. They broke them. But I do think that this opens up a bigger question about student athletes. And I think that question's starting to be asked. There was a great South Park episode on this, by the way. I don't know if you ever saw it, where Cartman was like talking to these, was pretending to be a slave owner. And he like shows up and he's like, oh, you're student, you're slaves. Oh, I mean, student athletes. And he's like pointing out how basically they provide all this value for the school and don't get anything out of it. And I think this is a question that's becoming more, it's, it's, it didn't used to be acceptable to talk about. And I think more and more people are asking the question. I think one day we're going to see the, the, it change where these schools are basically going to become like developmental leagues for the NFL and the NBA. But there are rules now. And if you don't follow them, you deserve to get in trouble. Well, yes. I mean, I agree with you on that part, that there are a lot of rules and that they should be followed. And I think a lot that came out about Louisville, uh, UNC, NC State, I mean, all the all these schools that have had these violations and the NCAA either acts on them or they kind of let it slide under the rug. Um, you know, but I think that you hit the nail on the head that there has to be um, s- some reform. There really has to be a conversation about this because I really do believe that these athletes are completely exploited. I mean, when you're talking about these guys can't even sell autographs, jerseys, you know, anything like that. Whereas, you know, these schools are putting their number on a shirt and selling them for $60 a jersey or 80 or a hundred and making all this money. I mean, um, I think Texas A&M has the highest amount of revenue by, by their athletic department. And uh, it was two years ago. There, I wrote an article on Tavern Voices about it. And I think it was $125 million a year came in from just their sporting endorsements and contracts, ticket sales, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's an insane business. And Those teams are valued in the billions of dollars. I mean, they're, they're worth more than some professional sports teams, these college football and basketball programs. Yeah, and the problem is, is that let's say you do come in for a year or two. Um, you A, you don't finish your degree. Uh, B, you go into a league where you may not make it. You know, they don't ever talk about the the star college athletes who play one year, go pro, and then in five years can barely make the NBA team or an NFL team. Um, you know, so I've always had the idea that the schools should build uh, really a fund, right? And student athlete contracts should include that you get your degree regardless. If in 10 years you want to come back and finish the two years you missed out on, you can come back at any point, you know, free of cost. I think it would be cool to have uh, student loans. You know, if, they, if let's say you're on a championship team and that school brings in 
fifty million dollars because you were the, the top, you know, college football team for that year. They should take a portion of that money, most of that money, and set it up in a fund for those players uh, to either help them one day in the future or provide loans if they want to become entrepreneurs and start their own business. You know, I just think there's so much that you could do with it, but instead they're just building these empires. I mean, it's the same thing the academic side of colleges are doing. They're they're taking all of this money that's coming in and not improving the product. They're improving the image of the whole university. Well, I think they are improving the product, but the people that are producing the value are getting nothing of it. Um, like I would say that academia, you don't need all the things they're doing in academia, but having a giant stadium provides more revenue. And that's why you're seeing these teams valued in the billions of dollars. But the players that are creating the value aren't getting anything out of it. I don't know about the fund, but I really like the idea about the sort of open-ended contract of if you come here, then we will allow you at any point in your life to come back free of charge, everything covered at any point. Um, I think that is actually probably one of the best ideas that I've heard. I think they should also allow them to like major, like I said, John Tamley wrote this great book about this and said that they should let players major and say coaching. Um, So let's say you go to the NBA, you don't make it, but you're like, you know what? You really love the sport and you want to get into it. So why not become a college coach? I mean, a, a good high school basketball coach in a major city can possibly make six figures. College, I mean, you know, what Rick Pitino was making was insane. And so, and that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, okay, you don't make it as a player, but maybe you can make it as a coach. So go back to school and learn how to be a good coach and learn the ins and outs and everything else. And so just provide something for the students, for all that they've given to you, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I love that idea too, by the way. I meant to mention that, but the idea of majoring in professional sports and having classes on understanding a contract and, and industry standards and commissions and ways to set up your money in, in appropriate accounts and working yeah. with dividends. I mean, so many of these athletes, they have great careers and then they have nothing to show for it, but it's all done. I mean, Donovan McNabb is the, is the great example. So yeah, well, I definitely I, think I, something should be done. And, and I think it's important to note that you know, a lot of people like to like kind of make fun of these guys because you know, they're so financially illiterate. But I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of these, if you make a lot of money, you go to like Los Angeles, right? You go to like a big city, you go to New York City. I mean, that, that's where a lot of these big teams are. And so you go there and so you're looking at a 60% income tax rate for the most part, state, national, local, everything in. 15% is going to a manager, 10% is going to an agent or vice versa. And it's like, I mean, these guys, you know, they, they sign a $100 million contract. And really, when you look at it at the end of the day, they're maybe getting 30 million of that. Well, if you're spending like you got 100 million and, and that's obviously an extreme example. A lot of these guys don't ever get 100 million dollar contracts, but you get a 20 million dollar contract and you end up only getting three million of that. I mean, that's not an insane amount of money when, you know, you sort of are 22 years old. I mean, you give any 22 year old three million dollars. I don't care what where they grew up or what sort of pedigree they have. I guarantee they're going to blow through that money and they probably don't even realize it. They don't realize how much they are losing in taxes and fees. And and like I said, paying all the people that are around them. And so, yeah, I think giving them a class um, sort of basic class about finance um, I think it's the least the colleges can do. I, I completely agree. And I think that uh, th- this is our official invitation to the UNC Board of Governors. You know, <laughs> call, call us and uh, Tavern Voices is here to help. That's right. We're here for you. I was, let's not forget, Kevin, a college golfer. So I'm a college athlete. So I, I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to pass up the big dollars 
in the flashy life to, to finish that degree. I've, I completely forgot about that. I should have uh, introduced you as our resident student athlete expert. Uh, it's all right. It's okay. I know it's, it's, it's forgettable. It was quite the life, I will say. Well, everyone can tune in next week and we will uh, we will have our student athlete expert Tyler Crawley back with us and uh, we'll have another great show because the streak is alive and well. I like it. We're charging charging hard through summer. You know, before we know it, we're going to be complaining about how cold it is. So no, nope, never do that. that. I never do that. Never do that. All right, my friend. I'll see you next week. All right, man. See you.